Content warnings for this episode include discussion of the Holocaust, mental illness, and ableism in the deep dive. ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. I'm Pastor Emily and I am the ballet shoes that you never lend out or borrow ever. Shout out to former ballerina Susanna Porter. Love it and also love how the main character Susie just takes the shoes and they magically like fit her feet like how do you know they're the same size? Okay, yeah, cool. and you can't you can't have bigger or small like they can't be the wrong size, right? Mm-hmm. Susanna a... told me that she has two different size feet, and so she actually had to buy two pairs of shoes every year because she had to have the right size for each foot. That sounds obnoxious and a lot of money. So power okay. to power and blessings to the finances of all the ballerinas and professional and not professional dancers out there uh i am pace and i am the mother of exhaustion so (laughs) right right uh just for our listeners out there this is i mean y'all y'all know this if you're listening to this episode when it comes out but it is our first episode releasing in spooky season of 2020 2020 what year are we in 2022 yeah there we go (laughs) so this one drops uh monday or monday thursday october 6th and so i'm super excited for this we have a lot of fun stuff planned for this october season including our pet contest which is annual costume which just started yep also i saw on twitter the most adorable mini pandas ever. There are dog costumes. There are dog panda costumes. Because they just like, they just have the the legs of the pandas are the front legs of the dogs. And then the like arms just like wobble. That's adorable. It's the most adorable thing ever. But I am sure that our listeners can come up with even more adorable and or scary and or creative and or fun costumes for their pets plants or stuffed animals as well yep yep so just quick recap of how that works is um on our social media posts you can comment with a picture of your animal you can also email a picture of your animal to horror nerds at church at gmail.com um and just to be clear it does not need to be an animal can also be a plant or a stuffed animal um and You can also submit it by going to bit.ly slash H-N-A-C Pet Contest 22, and that will be um, in our show notes as well. So all different ways to submit. Please get your submissions in by October 25th, uh, and then we will have a vote. Uh, Leave it up to you all to decide who the winner is, and the winner will get 
the grand prize winner will get uh, a free item of merch from our merch store, as well as a poster. Uh, the top five winners that Emily and I select will all get posters and a coupon to our merch store. And then one random person from all the entries will get a Blu-ray of um, Never Sleep Again, the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary or DVD or digital, however you prefer mm -hmm. to consume your media. So all sorts of fun stuff in store for those of you who participate. Yes, I'm very excited for it. And I might even, we might even, I might even um, start a campaign between Pace and I to like do a special reveal of who wins. We could do like a Facebook Live. Ooh, Go live to reveal. I like that idea. Me too. Yeah. So we'll probably do something <laughs> like that. Um, I love it. Uh, so um, since it's spooky season, I'm going to try to remember to bring back our what have we been watching and up to kind of uh, in the beginning babbling of our show. So what have you been up to? <laughs> what have you been watching? Um, I have been watching a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> love it um i have been watching the rings of power lord of the rings rings of power um series which i probably need to like rewatch now that i have a better sense of who the different characters are and a little bit of how they fit um and she hulk attorney at law um love victor and then i'm still working my way through Vampirina and Buff Angel. Buff Angel. Love it. <laughs> Angel is pretty buff. Love it. <laughs> um, let's see. I've Where been watching all sorts of stuff because I'm Pace and I'm addicted mm -hmm. to horror. Uh, Non-horror folks will be proud of me that I'm actually watching. I mean, it's not really horror, but it kind of also is pretty horrific. The... <laughs> house of dragons show on hbo oh. um, that's the game of thrones prequel i'm not a huge mm -hmm. game of thrones person but um brian is so we've been kind of watching that together uh and it does get pretty horrific but it's also fun and i'm a history nerd in addition to being a horror nerd so mm -hmm. i love how it kind of george R. R. martin takes real life uh european history and kind of weaves it into this fictionalized western Gross or whatever the heck that land is called. Um, like I said, not a huge fan. But <laughs> I've also been watching plenty of horror. So mm -hmm. um, I recently was gifted a 4K television. Um, so I now can watch horror in 4K definition, which is amazing. Ooh, I don't even and know what that means. The resolution is 4,000 pixels wide. Uh, and 1080p was used to be HD, so now four, so that's four times basically what wow. used to be considered HD. Um, and now they already have like 8K televisions and shit, so like it's already like 4K has been around awful. for like two years in the consumer market, but like mm -hmm. you know how technology. Um, yeah. But anyway, the cool thing is though, um, having a 4K TV means I can finally get my 4k blu-ray player so that way i can watch this movie which i have owned on 4k for a while uh blu-ray to watch it in 4k splendor mm -hmm. so i can't wait to do that 
at some point. But nice. I've been watching plenty of horror. I just watched, um, I just finished watching the Chucky series, which season two is coming out this coming Thursday. I started the Interview with the Vampire series on AMC Plus, which already was really cool. Okay. It's really good. The I watched the first episode and I really enjoy it so far. I love the fact that they made Louis a black man, so he's no longer Ooh. a slave owner. <laughs> but there, he's still complicated oh. because he was uh, essentially a pimp before Lestat found him. And that's not revealing too much. It's just that kind of stuff is um, introduced very early on in the first episode. But like, yeah. so he still has like some complicated past about like he was basically using women and stuff like that uh but at the same time like just very intriguing how they did the show and i'm very very much looking forward to the rest of it and uh and rice before she died was very much involved in the production so uh that's also cool when the author is able to participate in that way yeah. um oh i thought of a zombie movie that i watched Oh, so yeah. You're like proud of the non horror movies you watch, and I'm proud of the like horror related movies that I watch. Um, Warm Bodies, which is Ooh, yeah. today, the day that we're recording, is the last day that it's available on HBO Max. It's technically a zombie, it is a zombie movie, but it's also kind of a romance. <laughs> it was really cute. I really liked it. I, That's awesome. I don't. I think I only jumped like once, maybe twice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only other movie that of note, like I, I watch so many that it's hard to keep track of like how many I watch, but like I always mm-hmm. have something on in the background. So, uh, but okay. when I sit down intentionally to watch a movie, uh, I try to do that every once in a while. So I watched Speak No Evil, which is a Shutter exclusive mm-hmm. movie that just came out this year. It is very anxiety producing even for me as a horror oh. fan, so just know that. But it is, it's, it was pretty good. I overall kind of enjoyed it. Um, and I, oh, the other thing I want to shout out, my best friend's exorcism just recently dropped from Prime, so I started that, did not finish it. But my best I love Grady Hendrix. exorcism? Yeah, I love Grady Hendrix. It's set in the 80s. Uh, it's based on his best-selling novel, but uh, it's set in the 80s. Uh, it's a horror comedy, and it's basically about the, these Catholic schoolgirls, and one of them supposedly gets possessed, and the hijinks set ensues. You can tell it's been a while since we had, since I remembered yeah. to include this section because we've been <laughs> sharing a lot of stuff that we've been watching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, I think we've just like watched a lot of stuff recently. That we were, um, we got boosted. So shout out to everyone getting boosted and everyone who should get boosted, which is everyone who can. Um, We got boosted last weekend and then like that knocked me out. So, which is a sign that my body is fighting the infection and like preparing itself to to do battle. Um, So like, it's a good sign that there were like heavy side effects, but like definitely recommend both getting boosted and planning to be off the next. Yeah. I was boosted as well, and that also explains why I was doing some extra watching. And also, life has just been kind of shitty, and I'll tell, talk mm-hmm. more about that in a future episode, but there's some behind-the-scenes drama in my life that has made for a lot of cozying up, watching movies kind of nights <laughs> to deal yeah. with. So. Yep, same, um, same. Yep, yep. So, other announcements. Uh, 
we are just to let y'all know um i because of that aforementioned behind the scenes life drama i never finished the halloween series um remastering episodes of those i'm really sorry but the first three are up and i will i'm also going to try my best to remaster halloween 2018 and get that up so that way at least you'll have the original halloween halloween 2018 and halloween kills is still up on um from season two so you can have those to listen to um and rewatch in preparation for halloween ends which we will release on october 31st our episode based on that with special guest ben monroe so looking forward to that one mm-hmm. um and diaconia has something fun coming up why don't you share a little bit about that yeah so the diaconia.faith collective which uh Pace and i are both a part of is doing a coming out day worship service on october 11th at 4 p.m eastern 3 p.m central 2 p.m mountain 1 p.m pacific some other time in some other time zone that i do not <laughs> know of um and it's um i'm really excited about it we we ha- are doing some new things musically so i'm excited about the music and kind of diving in in the space where like for those who follow querying the text um which diaconia has been posting the last couple of weeks and previously i posted um there's the musical addition to querying the text is also going to come through in our worship service um so it should be good we'll be live on facebook and youtube and then you can also watch it afterwards for those who are not able to participate in real time um but yeah we'll link to the event episode episode description we'll link to the event in the show notes awesome I can talk yay yeah. I'm super excited about that. And also, I guess I never announced it officially in the podcast. So I'll announce it now is that um, talking about Faith Collective and um, querying is uh, querying now has the narrative lectionary and I am mm-hmm. the one preparing that. So if you uh, if you know what narrative lectionary is, then great. And then you can use that if you don't know what it is. It's just nerdy. Um, church language for a different set of readings that people use every Sunday. This one follows the four-year cycle as opposed to what most churches use, which is the Revised Common Lectionary, which follows the three-year cycle. Uh, But anyway, so I've been having fun with that. um, And you can look for that on diaconia.faith as well. Yeah, so, and that gets posted from the diaconia.faith Facebook page, but you can also find it at, which we'll link to, but you can also find it at querying.org you might have to type in the like http colon slash slash www.querying.org because i'm having a little bit of technical stuff um that will get (laughs) figured out eventually um but yeah so you can check out both narrative lectionary and revised common lectionary queries every week And um, I guess now we are finally ready to get into this week's movie, uh, Suspiria, 1977, directed by Dario Argento, a very famous movie, cult classic, uh, master of horror, all those things it's been called, so um, groundbreaking. So, yeah, 
When was the first time you saw this one? The first time I saw this one was yesterday. <laughs> but it did give me major Black Swan vibes at first, which is ironic because Black Swan, I also haven't seen Black Swan. <laughs> like, um, I've seen I've seen like trailers and stuff for Black Swan, so I'm more familiar with like it as a concept and all of that. Um, but because I'm not watching any of these movies in like chronological order, right? Like I'm pretty sure Black Swan came out after Suspiria, but mm-hmm. Suspiria gave off Black Swan vibes, similar to how Nightmare on Elm Street gave off um, Home Alone vibes. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I've seen this movie pretty late in my horror nerdery career, uh, as in like only a few years ago for the first time. Um, Of course, I've heard a lot about it over the years, but just never got around to it. And I'm the type of nerd, film nerd, that likes to watch movies in their original language. So when I first saw that this film was available, uh, it's not available on streaming very frequently, but when it is, it's typically on something like Tubi, and I think that's the where we watched it this mm-hmm. most recent time, but also where I watched it the first time. But it was the dubbed track, which I was like, no, I want to watch this in the original language. So I was trying to find it, not knowing that that doesn't really exist and that it's only available as dubbed because I'll get into that in the behind the scenes. But um, that was just kind of this practice for many Italian films at the time. So that's one of the reasons why I took so long to watch it, because I was like, I want to find this in the original language, because I'm a nerd and need to be a snobby nerd about how I watch my media, (laughs) and not knowing that that was not even a possibility. But yeah, then I saw it, and I was enamored with it. It's very strange, very colorful, very spooky Yeah, very, very monochromatic, but colorful. Like, Trichromatic, I would say. Well, because it's it's, red, green, and blue. No, what I meant though, like, is every time it's it's monochromatic in the scene, but multichromatic in the yeah movie. Yeah, I also um am very familiar with Suspiria uh, as a word because it's very connected to suspire and breath and spirit and all of those things which we will get Mm. into in the deep dive yay i like to make connections because everything is this is the first time i watched it so i gotta have like some sort of i love it one in one of these days we're going to blow our listeners away with the movie you've actually seen before recording Mm -hmm. this podcast i know I'm not sure if there's one this season. Sure. I was, we'll I was find just out. <laughs> there definitely will be next season. Yes. Um, and two seasons after that. <laughs> well, here's the secret, listeners. We, Emily is a five. Pace is a seven. So when I integrate into a five, we're talking about Enneagram. Um, we get into this planning mode. And so we kind of have like probably about 10 seasons planned out loosely <laughs> just it's true it's true we're a mess but um yeah it, it's gonna be fun i'm very excited for future seasons me too i am super excited 
So let's get into a little bit of the behind the scenes for this. Um, the movie is loosely based on, or not based on, but inspired by Suspiria de Profundis, uh, written in 1845 by Thomas de Quincey, which is basically a series of poetic essays he wrote. Mm-hmm. And the one that that particularly inspired this was called Levana and Our Ladies of Sorrows. Levana was the Roman goddess of childbirth. And he proposes three additional kind of mother figures in there. So it's based on the, so he kind of talks about these three mothers. Uh, One is the mother of size, which kind of is this movie's inspiration. Then there's the mother of darkness and the mother of tears. And each of these would become part of the um, part would become an inspiration for this loose trilogy that, the director made Dario Argento. So this is the first in that trilogy based on the mother of size, but there's also Inferno, which came out in 1980 about the mother of darkness. And then the final film in Italian called the third mother, but in English mother of tears came out in 2007. So one of the reasons though, uh, and Suspiria itself means size, and so mm-hmm. de profundis, the Latin term meaning deep size, S-I-G-H-S, not S-I-Z-E, because they sound similar over audio, but yes, Yep, I definitely size. was thinking the first time Pace said it. <laughs> so, uh, kind of a biblical reference there about the size too deep to, for words. Uh, Romans but, 8.26. Yay. I love having a Bible nerd on the podcast to it's help It's one of with my those. favorite passages, so. Yeah. So, but why are we doing this in our Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series? Because this quote, I think, captures this very well. Um, this quote is from Rob Galuzzo, who's a film historian from the documentary, Aside from the Depths, 40 Years of Suspiria. And he says, I quote, Argento's always a little bit weird narratively, but this one, as in Suspiria, the closest thing I can describe it to is nightmare logic. It doesn't even feel real because the way that it's shot and the colors and everything, like you almost don't know, am I watching a regular story or am I watching someone's nightmare unfold? Hmm. So, Nightmares. I, right? Oh. Fits very well in with this. Uh, in our non-thematic season. In our non-thematic season, which is turning into a very themed season. non-thematic. Um, but Argento was inspired, especially for the color palette, by Walt Disney's aesthetic and fairy tales. So, like, this notion of this evil 
kind of witch uh, figure in things like Snow White and other mm-hmm. Disney fairy tale films. And then the very vivid colors uh, kind of were inspiration for this. Uh, so this was shot on a Technicolor camera and they had access to the last remaining processing fil- facility in Europe for the Technicolor. So they were able to control the red, blue, and green, which is the colors that Technicolor uses. So they could really deeply play with those colors um, Mm. in both production and post-production. Interesting. Yep, yep. Uh, And this was partially done uh, during filming by having very bright colored lights very Mm. close to the actors. And this created a lot of heat. Uh, so it made the filming uncomfortable. Nothing that was considered unsafe, uh, but still just very uncomfortable to be filming with these really hot lamps a few feet away from you uh, yeah. and these bright red, green, or blue colors shining in your eyes. Yeah, that seems uh, suboptimal, shall we say. Right. Uh, kind of tying in with the dreamlike quality of this is the dance studio's layout makes no sense. Apparently... There's... That makes me feel so much better about how confused I was. Well, the they attic, apparently they store food in the attic, and that comes into a scene when the food is rotting up there and maggots are falling down. That does but there's... not. <laughs> but there's also a kitchen, which is, like, near the entrance, but the, she passes the kitchen to get to the attic. So it's, like, it just... It, in, the internal layout of the dance studio intentionally makes no sense and it's designed mm-hmm. to kind of not actually work because it's supposed to be part of this dream-like sequence. Um, that does make sense, though, because, like, when she's walking down the hallway and gets sick and, like, whatever they're doing to her, it definitely feels like a nightmare dream yeah. escape thing. And it... It reminded me of the Angel episode when they go to check out the ballet. And the ballet is the exact same as it was when Angel saw it as, like, a human. Or, like, in his early vampire days. And they go to investigate and they get, like, sucked into the emotions of some of the characters who are, like, kind of frozen in time-ish. And it's fascinating. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Also adding to the dreamlike quality of this, though, or nightmare-like quality, is the score is composed by experimental rock band Goblin. And so they created this very dreamy score that alternates between like these dreamy, peaceful kind of music box melodies to these mm-hmm. very frantic, loud drum sort of stuff. And then um, in that same documentary, aside from the depths, one of the people in it was talking about how the soundtrack is made in such a way that there's lots of screams, lots of knocking sounds, mm-hmm. lots of like scratching noises and stuff. And it raises a question, what is diegetic and what is part of the soundtrack? And diegetic meaning the sound that the characters are actually hearing. So are the characters hearing these oh. screams? Are the characters hearing these scratches? Or is it just and part the of the whiskers. soundtrack for us? And we don't, mm-hmm. and that's kind of, a lot of that is left unknown intentionally, so it kind of adds to this quality of it being a nightmare. Like, if you're in a nightmare and hearing all these weird sounds, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, if these characters... So if this whole film is essentially a nightmare Susie is ha- having, then that explains a lot of the soundtrack. Um, That's interesting. I haven't thought of it that way. 
but yeah. Uh, and then dubbing and filming, just, uh, it wasn't, so this is kind of goes to my snobbery about film is like, it was a mixed nationality cast. And so some were speaking their native language. A lot of them were speaking in English, but with very thick accents. So it's um, very common in Italian film of this era to just dub over all the dialogue in post-production and just mm-hmm. release a dub film for whichever um, market they're uh, releasing it in. So not all of the English is dubbed. Some of it is the actual sound, especially the English-speaking actors. Like but, um, Kramer. Because <laughs> Kramer from Seinfeld is the cabbie at the beginning of the movie. I really think it is the same person. I don't think it is, but... (laughs) Whatever. He looked the same to me. I think it's the same. I got really excited. I love it. I think there's a way to check that out on IMDb very quickly. But we'll just let Emily live in their belief that it's crazy. Let me live in my dream world. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Then I already said this was the first part of the Three Mothers trilogy. uh, But the 20... There is also a 2018 remake that came out. Mm -hmm. uh, And this one, it's hard to call it a remake because it's not really a remake. It's kind of more of a companion piece intentionally. It's also called Suspiria. It has a lot of the same themes, this general kind of American woman going into this German dance company set in the 70s. And the dance company is run by a coven of witches but that's about the only similarity the rest is very like divergent and it's a very interesting companion to this film so rest assured listeners emily and i have already talked about including this in our upcoming witch season when we do that a few seasons down the road so we'll get there i'm excited for that that's all the behind the scenes stuff i have which i know is quite a bit actually but (laughs) yeah it's a good yeah that's all i had was i still think kramer was the cabbie but i understand how that might be a lie (laughs) um so now as we dive into our summary um summaries slash outlining slash whatever thing um (laughs) So a U.S. citizen, a USian, uh, dreams of attending ballet school in Germany, and the dream becomes a bewitching nightmare. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so there's like random sudden thunderstorms throughout the movie, including at the beginning, right after a plane lands. And based on like what is happening outside, a plane is not landing in that weather. Hey, I have been in planes that landed during thunderstorms before so yes but that weather <laughs> also had massive high winds and that is really really dangerous to land in um and multiple thin white women who do ballet get wet in thunderstorms in the thunderstorm yes. uh-huh. to the point where poor emily this being the first time you watched it was asking me like is this the same person is this the same person yeah. I'm like nope they're different people <laughs> multiple times was like wait it's always harder for me at the beginning, especially when the cast is not diverse, because I can't, like, there's no way to tell them apart, and I don't know their names, and we weren't watching with subtitles, well, I wasn't watching with subtitles, because I 
don't know that there's a way to get subtitles yeah, on TV. for this yeah. movie. So I, was, I didn't have subtitles. So I couldn't even like count on subtitles to help me. Yeah. So Pace just had to answer questions every commercial. <laughs> and throughout. Um, yeah. Then there's like the the first big kind of scene is the creepy death of the runaway slash kicked out ballerina at her friend who also got kicked out at their at her apartment. Um, and then the friend also dies from the crap falling through the stained glass skylight with her dead friend. So, you know, it prompts the PSA, don't lock your friend out of your room when you are scared <laughs> of what is outside. Right. Um, also, it was like she was stabbed. And so based on my um, prolific knowledge from having a roommate who loved CSI, uh, stabbing is actually a crime of passion because you have to be close and, and so it's a more intimate thing. So mm-hmm. fascinating that, yep. you know, proves to be somewhat true, even though it was like a very distanced stabbing right. as we find out later. Um, and I, I didn't say this in the, um, behind the scenes, but perhaps I should have is Argento is known uh, a first guy's career in doing giallo films, which is an Italian subgenre of thrillers about murders usually. And there's usually, uh, and giallo means is Italian for yellow because they're based off of mass market paperbacks that had yellow covers. Uh, Mm -hmm. But so basically this feels very giallo in the beginning of this masked intruder wearing all black, stabbing somebody and stuff like that. So it definitely feels like an homage to some of his earlier works. And then, of course, it takes this very different turn going yeah. forward. That is helpful because I, when I, when they like both were dead so fast, I was like, wow, that was a fast first and second killing because we haven't had in the, in the movie, in the horror movies that we've had so far. Aside from, like, Children of the Corn, where they kill literally all the adults except for, like, two, um, we haven't had, like, a lot of quick killing. It's been, there's been more build up to it. Um, yeah. And then the, like, presumably cishet white women in charge of everything are very strict, uh, which makes sense because ballet is, like, known for strictness. Um, but also like flip-flop. They're like, you can't stay here. You have to pay this person $50. Oh, now you have to stay here. Oh, you don't want to? Well, too bad. We're going to make you sick while you walk down a hallway and then give you an injection and a special diet for a very long time. I don't know how long. Highly suspicious. Yep. She's on that diet for most of the movie, and it's heavily implied that the diet that they are giving her is what's causing her to fall into a deep sleep almost every night mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to the point that a roommate typically has trouble rousing her. Yeah, she definitely seems drugged. Also, there was a point at which I was like, is this wine or blood? And when she pours it out, it's the same color as the fake blood. So so the answer is probably yes. Yeah, so I was <laughs> like, are they turning her into a vampire? And there's like a couple times where they like zoom in on stuff. And I was trying to figure out what they were zooming in on. And I think they were just zooming in to be dramatic. But so like there was, there were two little points and I was like, is she turning into a vampire? 
<laughs> she did not. That was like the one horror not represented in this film at all. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Susie gets sick, and then I still don't understand what happened with the maggots, and it was gross and disgusting, and Pace and I discovered that, in fact, horror that involves bugs or animals is probably my least favorite type of horror so far. Yeah. So for our poor listeners out there who are huge arachnophobia fans, I don't think we'll be covering that one anytime soon. Yeah. At least we not with going... Emily as co-host. I was going to say, we weren't going to anyway because spiders, I already knew I was like <laughs> very scared of spiders, but yeah. maybe we'll do snakes on a plane sometimes, sometime for fun. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but yeah, the so again, dream logic. So it intentionally doesn't, a lot of this intentionally doesn't make sense and it's not meant to. And yet, supposedly the maggots were coming because the food delivery they got that was in the at, stored in the attic was um, arrived and it was rotted. Um, so oh, it arrived, it it rotted. I, it, like that, that, that has no bearing on the plot, though. Like, that's the thing. It makes. Well, it. Uh, first, of, first of all, nightmares, of course, nonlinear. Uh, so, like, Truth. does, but also this is what gets them all to leave their residence, the residential hall, mm-hmm. and sleep in that big dance studio where we are first introduced to the woman who may or may not, and we find out she is the head witch of the coven. So, oh, who is the directress? The directress. I, yes, I heard <laughs> that as treacherous the first <laughs> many times that i heard the actress play who um sarah say that susie's I, friend yes sarah yeah. something they both they both start with s's because they're snakes right um yeah that makes more sense um also there's a german shepherd who is uh guide dog and is villainized i think falsely and then mm-hmm. turned into an actual villain um the yeah. poor pupper yeah don't mess with people's guide dogs don't touch them it definitely seems to imply that there is some sort of external force that is causing the die- guide dog to act in this aggressive manner yeah um, especially when he turns later on in his owner and that so yeah i i mean when albert and the servant maid whoever it was were going up to the dog it looked highly suspicious like they were creepy when they were going towards the dog and so it's like what are you going to do to this dog and then yeah and then when daniel who's the pianist and the dog were kind of going through that square and we'll get into the yeah, geography of this because in the deep dive but yeah when they're going through this square it's clear that they that daniel feels he is being chased by something even though there's nothing shown on screen so so when mm-hmm. the dog turns it seems to have been invaded by some sort of invisible spirit or something yeah and it, and we hear the whispers and the dog is acting weird like the dog is not acting like it should act as a guide dog, yeah. right? Like it's pulling at Daniel and. And once again, is that diegetic sound whispering? Does the dog hear the whispering? Does 
Daniel hear the whispering or is that just for us? Who knows? Maybe both. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and then, uh, so Daniel's like fired, which sucks, but um, it's fired before he's killed. Like, it's yes. fired and then, then killed. Torn apart by his dog in a yeah. graphic scene. Yeah, the, it's it's just pretty graphic. This is movie. Um, the blood is a million percent fake. Like it looks well, like red acrylic paint. If we if we think about the other seventies film that you and I have covered together thus far, uh, we also spent a significant time talking about how that blood in that was so fake too. Which one was that? Daughters of Darkness. Remember oh, okay. the giant yeah. glass bowl that cut his wrist and it was just this really bright acrylic yeah. red blood. Yeah. I guess it was a 70s thing. Who knows? I guess when it was black and white films, they actually used to use chocolate syrup because it would have the thick, the right thickness and it was black and white, so you didn't have to have it be red. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sounds tasty, too. Right? You just lick it off when you're done. Right? Um, so then... Sarah, Susie's friend slash roommate, is at, throughout the movie increasingly freaked out um, and paranoid because she was friends with the previous ballerina who got kicked out and killed. Um, and she, um, she ends up like trying to rouse Susie, who, as we've said, was probably drugged, can't be roused, and so she like runs out of the room breaks a lot of glass and cuts herself, then goes, like, gets into a room, locks the door, and then, like, just leave. The door is, like, the lock on the door is, like, the lock on a on a gate, on somebody's, like, yeah. picket fence gate thing, yeah. right? So, like, easy to unlock. And she just leaves it for them to, like, unlock it. Um, yeah. She's because... sitting there, like, staring at it as they are slowly lifting the lever from the other side. And it's like, just, just like... hold it down or something. Like, why are you just watching them unlock this? Yeah. Yeah. It does not make sense. Um, but apparently, instead of trying to hold down the lock, she would rather uh, make a very poorly, in terms of, like, architecture, engineering tower of things and climb out the window to go swimming in a bed of barbed of barbed wire right which of course results in her death um mm-hmm. yeah and and then everybody is told that she just left which is obviously fake obviously yep. a lie um and so then Susie does like investigations that are really not like investigatory um, <laughs> there it, it, she does she like has conversations with random people which like it's not clear how she knows the people or any of that and then they yeah. just like tell her these things and it's really just like to advance she, the plot yeah and... she has a conversation with sarah's psychologist and that guy introduces her to just randomly there's this professor who has written about the occult walking by and he's like oh let me introduce you to this person who might be more help and then that weird old man just tells her all this 
yeah. wild stuff. Which, like, how did she get to a psychologist? Like, all of this stuff. Yeah. It's it's highly dream suspicious. Logic. I was going to say, logic. it's highly suspicious. <laughs> almost like it's a dream. Right. Um, yeah. And so while she's investigating the suspicions, after smartly not eating her druggy food, um, she encounters the witches because she can count steps because for ballerinas and ballerina instructors, they are not nearly as light on their feet as I would think they would be. And so they're just like, she can just count all of the steps and where they go and hear them. Um, And so she encounters the witches, plus she encounters her zombie friend, Sarah, and the ghost witch and ends up killing the ghost witch which kills everyone and sets the place on fire and i'm not sure like we don't see any bodies so highly suspicious there also what about all of the non-witches who are ballerinas at this school she just killed them all (laughs) right Or at least, like, allowed them to be killed. Yeah. So. That's the movie. Dun, dun, dun. That's Suspiria. Uh, (laughs) And and kudos to you, Emily, for trying to make sense and describe this plot. Because, like we keep saying, it's very nonlinear. Very, Mm -hmm. lots of, like, visual scenes of just, like, people walking through rooms. Or, like, to an... And, and very like let's focus on this red lampshade intently um and right, stuff like that like, it so doesn't like, make sense why yeah so it's just a lot of stuff like that that more sets the mood and more kind of creates this dreamscape as opposed to actually trying to tell a story so yeah thank you for doing that <laughs> i try even when i was doing it like as i was then saying it out loud i was like oh these are in the wrong order these are in the wrong place Yep. So I guess we'll get into our deep dive. Uh, and so first, I want to talk about uh, some the themes of Nazi horror that kind of is peppered mm-hmm. throughout this and done very intentionally by Argento. So. There are a whole bunch of set pieces. Uh, it was filmed mostly in Munich, uh, Germany, mm. and there are a whole bunch of set pieces. I've been there. And yay, I've been there once, but only through the airport. And it was not the airport in this because this airport was actually decommissioned in 1992. I'll talk hmm. about that in a moment. But um, sounds about right. So, uh, but um, yeah. So a few of the background set pieces were significant in Nazi history. Uh, first, um, the film is supposedly set in Friedberg, uh, but it was filmed in Munich. Uh, we start out with uh, her Susie going to the Munich Rhein airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this airport um, was Opened in 1939, was used extensively in the Second World War. It was designed by Ernst Zagerbeit, who was a Nazi architect. Um, So as soon as she leaves the airport, there's this wind and storm suggesting that she is 
entering from America or from the United States into this violent, mysterious world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this Nazi airport is kind of the gateway into that. Yeah. It also, Uh, um, for context, because I wanted to remember, Munich at the time of the recording of the movie was part of West Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, And apparently in 1970, there was actually a bus carrying passengers to one of the planes at the airport. Um, was attacked by terrorists. Oh, wow. And that actually, we will talk about that when we cover the remake of Suspiria because there's stuff, there's intentional connections there too. So we'll get into that. Don't worry, listeners. Uh, But they also, after she leaves the airport, they pass through the Black Forest, um, Schwarzwald, as it is... um, called in German, and the area that this was filmed was very close to Hitler's bunker. Um, Then there is also prominently featured the Bergestrasse, uh, which was destroyed in 1944 and rebuilt during uh, shortly after. And then the Hofbrauhaus, which is where Hitler gave his first speech in 1918 and was also where the Nazi party was founded. Uh, which is the beer area where the people were dancing on the tables. That was that location. Oh, okay. And then Konigsplatz, which is um, where where, um, Daniel was attacked by his dog, uh, Mm -hmm. was the site of many Nazi book burnings and rallies. It was very close to the Nazi headquarters. Uh, So all this kind of was included by Argento as a way of saying she's entering this horrific, dangerous, evil land where these kind of national uh, tragedies are not being addressed by the people who are living there. And so it's Mm -hmm. kind of building to this background of nightmares and oppression and horror uh, just by the physical location of being in this place. Yeah, it's well, and one of the, one of the connections that I made after you were talking about that, um, that not everybody will make um, is between the, the one servant where they're like, he's very ugly. He's from Romania. And Mm -hmm. um, Romania is a, country but also i have noticed that it seems like romania is frequently is code for roma or romani people um which is not actually like not every romanian is roma and not every roma is romanian right um but they were one of the groups targeted by Nazis during the Holocaust, but they're less well-known and the numbers are um, very much not well-known, partly because they they were targeted and then they were, like, categorized as, like, they were categorized under a lot of different categories, so they weren't all counted the same way Whereas, like, Jewish people were all counted as Jewish people, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, like, this 
combining of like ugliness and Roma and Roma with like magic and all of that yeah. that also is I don't think was like done in the same way that the like revisiting Nazi horrors was done. Yeah, but I mean also to uh to that point is another demographic targeted under Nazi Germany were people with different abilities and disabilities. And so mm-hmm. the fact that Daniel um, is killed in this very vicious way by a German yeah. shepherd, like it's just very, it, I mean, it all seems to be kind of these pieces of this puzzle that are kind of calling back to these horrors and kind of revisiting them. Um, mm-hmm. so. yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, and then one of the, we talked about the random old dude who just gives this lecture on magic and evil. <laughs> and so he said, but one of the things I really like about this is like the first guy, the psychologist is like, Oh, evil doesn't exist. Let me introduce you to this guy. Who's the expert on this. And then the expert is like, Oh yeah, magic and evil does exist. And it's all around us. It's like okay, <laughs> your, your opinion, whatever. But I, I but I like that idea that like magic is all around and that evil mm-hmm. can lurk around every corner and that these kind of crimes of the past can be revisited or have these long-standing effects on the present, um, especially in uh, this setting that this was set in in Munich. But like I think that's I, I don't think Dario Argento was trying to say something unique about. Uh, Germany he was an Italian filmmaker uh, but he chose this German setting but I do th- because I think that it's more than that there that um Italy was also under Mussolini during the <laughs> uh yeah. during the second world war but also I mean in the United States of America right now we have things like confederate monuments we have all these we have um shell mounds and stuff that are being destroyed to uh which are indigenous people burial grounds for uh and stuff like that that are being destroyed to make shopping malls and so like we we are kind Mm -hmm. also having these sins of the past being revisited upon in the present so i think it's and we're recording on orange shirt day which is the day where particular attention is given to the harm of indian boarding schools Mm. and the genocide the cultural and physical genocide that they were which i didn't write like the burials that have been uncovered especially in the last year of mass graves of children from indian boarding schools um yeah yeah. so exactly and so i think that's kind of the theme one of the themes of this film is this kind of universal knowing that this that evil really does look around every corner um, mm-hmm. around the globe as specifically in part because of the sins of the past that are yeah. still having real consequences today. Yeah. And that's, and that's like, if you're not addressing it, it's, it's not going to change. It's not going to be challenged. And I mean, I could make a segue into Luther here. I won't, but <laughs> other than just to say, Luther says that we are bound to sin. And one of the best ways, I think, to understand that in modern context is just to say, we are born into these systems of oppression. We are born into mm-hmm. these, into this world where harm has been done in the past that is still being felt today. And so we can't escape from that. And I think that's a very orthodox understanding of Luther's 
of what Luther meant when he said we're all bound to sin and we cannot yeah. free ourselves. And Luther is part of that, right? Like I, yep. my time spent in Germany was on my way back from um, a year of young adults in global mission with the ELCA where I worked with Roma in Slovakia. But then the, like my dad came to visit and we spent um, a week and a half, two weeks in Germany. And um, the, we did like a Martin Luther Holocaust tour of Germany. So we went to like some of the really important Holocaust sites and memorials um, and concentration camps. And we went to some of the really important Martin Luther historical places. And there are like, it was, it was actually like a really helpful way of engaging for me because they balance each other out in some ways, but also there are a lot of connections because Germany is so heavily Lutheran and because Martin Luther said some really horrible anti-Semitic stuff. Yep. Uh, and if you go back and listen to our, well, not our, cause I'm not a co-host of that podcast, <laughs> but the, but the episode I guess it on of Nerds yes. at Church, uh, when we talked for Reformation Sunday last year, uh, mm-hmm. we talk about uh, some of Luther's positive and negative legacies. Yes. So. And this year, um, uh, preview, sneak peek, this year for uh, Reformation Day, for a Reformation episode, Kay and I are actually talking about like, the lesser known impacts of the Reformation. So the things both good and bad and complicated um, that came from the Reformation in terms of um, all all sorts of different things among them, like the role of women in the world and and the options that women had for advancement and autonomy. Please email it to us. And Help me remember. Even... Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, and you can even say that I like asked you, so you're not just like, hey, I heard this thing. Here you go. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? Um, witchcraft and devil worship connect, uh, connection. So like, once again, we have this connection of witchcraft to devil worshipers, which is something we've seen in, Hocus Pocus, uh, in The <laughs> Witch, uh, from season two. Both of those movies we cover in season two. It's kind mm-hmm. of a frequent connection of witches to devil worship, which came about in the medieval period, um, early medieval period. Uh, and of course, women who don't conform to gender roles were frequently targeted as witches uh, throughout the medieval period and into the early modern period with things even as recent in this country where we're recording this as things like the Salem witch trials and stuff. So, um, so the connections there, uh, Mm -hmm. we find out that the originator of the school, Helena Marcos is still alive. Uh, she founded the school like 150 years ago. She's or 200 years ago. Like a ghost. A weird kind of like ghosty, invisible, witchy thing. creature, mm-hmm. something, who has this weird snoring apparently. Uh, 
but she is she is also the mother of size so s-i-g-h i don't know how to say that word without it sounding like i'm saying s-i-z-e but yeah, size she's the mother of size the same they are homophones yeah uh yeah but yes i also like in the um there's also this like weird way that they connect the witchcraft and devil worship also to mental illness right like they chalk it up to this person is mentally ill and that is why they're doing those things or which is really harmful and stigmatizing for people with actual mental illnesses and for people who are actual like witches and pagans and wicca and practice wicca and stuff and this is something that a lot of liberally minded folk will do with the bible all the time which is they say oh the people who are possessed by demons that jesus healed were actually just suffering from mental illness and it's like possibly but you're also Also, increasing the stigma against mental ill mentally ill people today and you actually don't know that (laughs) like you don't know what was going on because this text was two thousand years ago yeah It's, it's it's not quite the same as like we, Kay and I just recorded, and it'll be, it's out, our most recent episode, the episode that's out as of when this episode comes out, um, is the reading with the 10 lepers, the healing of the 10 lepers, and we talked a little bit. We have a nurse, um, Katie Hall, who, they are fantastic, um, but we talk about the, like, leprosy is an actual like disease and has a common name today and that is a different case than like oh you have a demon possession (laughs) you must be insert random mental illness here right yeah yeah definitely Um, different bible scholars do not be armchair psychologists i'll just say that (laughs) um agreed agreed Oh, then, uh, but this gets to the ending. I love the ending here. So the death of the Helena Marcus, basically, it was said specifically by the random old dude giving his lecture that if you kill the head, it's basically like a hydra, you kill the main head, and then the rest of the coven will fall apart and die. So by killing Helena Marcus, everybody else, um, the I guess the dance studio just like, burst into flame and all the other witches die and lose their power but there's some really cool scenes here and you like you commented about uh the sarah how it looks like she is crucified there yeah so this that whole part has a lot of like christian imagery stuff to it um so there's like I mean, there's the big picture of whispering and suspiria coming from suspire and um, the connection with spirit and breath and God and the Holy Spirit as God's breath um, and wind and all of that stuff that comes into play, especially like violent winds in the thunderstorms, all of that. Um, There's also the like so the before we see sarah 
we see the director of the school or whatever, like the head of the school. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what actually happens, but it just looks like she's receiving communion. Like she is given something to eat and something to drink in a very like symbolic, ritualistic, it looks like a chalice kind of way. Um, and then she, so she like receives communion and then is like, the American must vanish. <laughs> like, which is not what communion is about. Um, but I don't know, Pace, if you know what actually was like supposed to have been happening there or. Nope. I think, I think that's open for interpretation. And I do think okay. that is a valid interpretation and probably was intentional. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, it seemed pretty intentional to me. Um, but we also know that like, that was a big part of Nazism, right? Like the the Lutheran Church was almost entirely Nazi supporters or sympathizers. Um, and like, if you look at some of the rituals that the Ku Klux Klan in the U.S. does, there's lots of Christian imagery and like Christofascism is a real and present danger. It is a real thing and it is very dangerous and very harmful and deadly. Um, but then, so after Susie sees the communion take place, then she's like backing up and then she sees Sarah who went swimming in the barbed wire, the bed of barbed wire. And <laughs> she has like pins in her eyes. And then also like her hands are nailed as if, as they would have been if she were crucified. She's not quite in a like T position, but it very much feels like crucifixion to me, even though it's after she's, um, after she's been killed. But yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the peacock, which is used to kill the head, which Helena Marcus mm-hmm. on and peacocks represent a few things uh in like especially medieval christianity but um so i think it was intentional to use that a glass peacock but like one of the things it represents are the eyes of god because peacock Mm. tail feathers will have those blue spots which look like eyes so um perhaps it's like saying the eye of god killing or driving out this evil force Uh, yeah I didn't know that peacocks were associated with God or like Christianity. I just thought of them as like um, animals that wander around zoos and like as signs <laughs> of wealth, right? Which goes to Harry Potter because the Malfoys have like albino peacocks on their like hedges of their like blocking everyone from seeing into their property. Um so that was that was like my associations of like ridiculous wealth. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else. I think you have a few more. Uh, but the only uh, last thing I just want to say uh, for my stuff is just um, I love that this is basically it, a very valid interpretation of this is this is just a nightmare, and so we're like participating in this nightmare and how we as the viewer kind of can interact through this dream of Susie with our own kind of biases, with our own connections Mm -hmm. between evil and 
be confronted by the evils of the past and stuff like that. I just think it was very effective. Um, and it's no wonder to me why this has continues to be such a um, big hit uh, within the horror community as like one of the classics of horror. Yeah. Well, yeah. So one of the other things um, for me that stuck out um, was like the ableism in it. Like there's some hardcore ableism that happens. Um, So um, A, when Albert showed up, I was like, hmm you're coming back. You're important. And I don't know why. And I feel very proud of myself for having picked up on that because then Albert, the kid comes back. Also, Albert is my dad's name. So I was particularly tuned in. Um, but the blind pianist, um, Daniel has a guide dog. Um, we don't know the name, but it's a German shepherd. Um, and German shepherds are frequently associated with police and like they are like the narratives around German shepherds are really harmful and not accurate right like the they're really smart and really easy to train like they're really good at learning um and so when people say that they're like racist dogs it's because their owners are um right it's they have been taught to be that way particularly like by police um and so you get this, like, German Shepherd who's just a guide dog, just a good guide dog, and is not allowed in the studio when Daniel goes into play. And so Daniel just leaves him tied up right outside the door. And um, the creepy maid and Albert, like, go up to the dog and they, the filming of it makes it very clear that, like, they are up to something. They are up to no good they're creepy they're something I don't know creepy 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 and then something happens and we just hear barking and um reactions and stuff um and the German shepherd like bites Albert the kid and so it's just like this like reinforcement of villainization but also like there was a boundary that was violated there he is as a blind person and as a and then as a guide dog to a blind person like you are not supposed to touch us like you don't touch guide dogs you don't touch service dogs that's inappropriate and it's harmful because they are working and they are trying to do a particular job and they can't do it well if people are petting them um but then also like when the director person um Albert's aunt like finds out and Albert is in the hospital and stuff she gets mad and she fires Daniel which is fine like okay do that like it's not great it's not his fault it's not the dog's fault either it's your kid's fault uh your nephew's fault but also like she fires him and then she throws his cane and his and his coat on the floor so making something that he needs to be able to navigate the world and just like throwing it on the floor. And thankfully like he comes across it and doesn't trip and like finds it and is able to use it and stuff. But um, there's just like, 
And then the use of like incapacitating Susie in order to make her compliant with moving back, moving into the residential part. Um, and the like narrative of like she was like completely out of commission hemorrhaging and then she gets like one injection and she's like it's almost as if nothing had happened at all which reinforces the narrative that like if you are chronically ill or disabled it's your own fault and you should be better because people can get better from that um so there's just all of that that goes in 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 ways that are like complicated and not necessarily aware of the impact on disabled people um, and the like subtle ableism. So, you know, don't do that. Um, also, there's like a weird thing about privacy and maybe it's just like me looking back from 2022 where our privacy is like not secure at all technologically, but like there's no curtains in the room that the like kicked out ballerina is staying in so like anybody can see in the windows everybody is just like in and out in the like dormitory residential thing nobody has like any autonomy right like the the first pushback is like oh you have a mind of your own now let's incapacitate you so that you don't are sick with our very a very cult like dance studio yes (laughs) yes for sure for sure yeah also i'm still freaked out about the maggots and the food and it still doesn't make sense to me (laughs) i get it it's a dream it's a very very creepy dream well done (laughs) well done Creepy, creepy McCreeperson. Yeah. Any other deep dive? No, I think that's it for me. Me too. Um. So, rating the film out of 10 nightmares, what would you give it? Um, 9 out of 10. It's classic for me. It's hard to separate from the place it holds in horror infamy, so to speak. Uh, but, like, it just, it's really well done. It still stands up today, aside from the fake blood. Uh, but I feel like that's just part of the 70s. Um, <laughs> the dubbing is still a little weird for me. <laughs> but, mm. like... It's, it's just a convention of the time. Uh, my favorite death, though, is definitely that stained glass window right in the beginning, falling through it, uh, mm-hmm. and then, like, becoming hanged, and then the other parts of the window, like, impaling the friend. It's just very, very interesting and wild way to open the film, and graphic. It's, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Um. I okay. I also like didn't think there was necessarily great acting for some of it. Like, I didn't come across as great acting. I didn't notice the um, the dubbing as much. So it might be that like the way I interpreted the dubbing was as just like suboptimal acting. 
Um, so, and I really don't like the maggots. I was going to give it an eight, and then I was reminded about the maggots. So I'm giving it a seven. Seven nightmares out of ten. Love it. Um, and my favorite kill... Um, I just can't get over the bed of barbed wire. Like, she literally, like, mm. chose, instead of keeping a door locked, to jump into a bed of barbed wire. And then she, like, is acting like she's swimming in it. I know. And it's just like, uh. like, this is not how you get out of barbed wire. This is, like, I get that you're scared and freaked out, but, like, all the wrong choices. I love um, it. Yeah. I love it. And I can't. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, please. No, please. go. I was just gonna say I can't wait for you to watch the pseudo remake slash companion piece slash whatever Suspiria 2018 is because it's very fun in very different ways and very gory and graphic ways. So it's gonna be fun when we get to our season. So I believe you. I believe you. Um, as for jumps, I believe I jumped one half of one time. I had a half jump once. I think is what I told you while we were watching, right, Pace? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember where it was. It was like a, a I th- bizarre. I think it was when she jumped into the barbed wire because you weren't expecting it. Oh, yeah. Because it was so bizarre. Like, yeah. don't jump in barbed wire. I mean, it was dark. So my, like, I guess she just couldn't see it. I don't know. Also, dream logic. So who the fuck knows? Yep. Um, yeah. Speaking of dreams, though, look at that transition. Our next Ooh. dreamish nightmare is Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Came mm-hmm. out in 1987, directed by Chuck Russell. So we'll just keep the nightmares going. Yeah, we will. Also, our newsletter either just came out or is soon to come out. So if yeah. you're interested in signing up for it, make sure you let us know. We'll include a link in the episode disc- in the show notes. Yep, yep. Um, in fact, I should just make that part of our standard little part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sign up for a newsletter. It should have come out Monday, October 3rd, so it should already be out, but we'll see. Um, because life. Because life. Um, you well, can... That... Oh, no. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you can help make stuff more timely by giving us some financial support, because the financial support helps make it more possible and logistically feasible for us to do all of the things that we do right now all of it is going towards tech and that sort of thing so the more that we have the more ability we have to do better and to be on time (laughs) right i mean i don't want to make that promise that we'll be more in time with more financial support but it is the more we are able, like the more possibilities there are yes. for that. The like, more possibilities for a timely release of episodes. Yeah. Hey, Life will always our... happen. Yes. But frustrating technology I'm does not help. Very proud of myself in that every single episode of season four has come out on the day it was supposed to come out so far. It's true. Um, there was it has. a few tech tech issues with two of the episodes, but they are resolved, and so I'm proud of myself. Yeah, that. it's been really great. I'm impressed okay. because we did not start, we didn't start recording as early as we did last season. Yeah. And so it's been like, nope, but we've been really good. I'm really proud of us. Yeah. Eventually and we'll catch up last seasons, but 
our Patreon episodes have been coming out the month mm-hmm. they're supposed to. I mean, a few days yeah. late, but still the month they're supposed to so for September. And October is already scheduled. At mm-hmm. the, so we'll yeah. come out tomorrow. I'm just very excited. So um, anyway. October's that, is not only already scheduled, but by the time this comes out, it will already have been out. Yeah, on both feeds. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, not our boot tube. We still need to record that. But we're going to watch Nightmare, um, hopefully this afternoon. Yeah. Freddy's Nightmares. So anyway, that's <laughs> it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and help these episodes continue to come out on a timely basis by <laughs> and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes like mm-hmm. our Hocus Pocus episode, which just dropped with Nerds at Church, Woo-woo. or BootTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up, so much cheaper than an international flight to a dance studio in Germany run by a coven of witches. Or a pair of ballet slippers. Yes, much cheaper than that, too. (laughs) Much cheaper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church, and Twitter at H-N-A-C-P-O-D for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time... Why don't you just share yours? I don't have a good one. Do you still have yours? Um, I don't remember what the one was, but um, until one of the until next times was until next time, don't lend or borrow ballet shoes. If you're going to do ballet, sorry, you got to get your own. Yep. And doing so might, in fact, mean that you're about to be cursed by a coven of witches (laughs) and fall sick and. Yeah. All sorts of other things. Also, the other one that's more horror-related than ballet-related. Until next time, don't lock the door to your room so your friend can't get in when what you're really scared of is what's outside the building. Or also, we'll just have like three of them because until (laughs) until next time, don't jump into barbed wire. Also that. <laughs> and don't go swimming in it if you do. Right. Okay. Bye everyone. <laughs>